the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Do you want God to be fair with you? Do you want God to give you what you truly deserve? Can't you remember the thousands of times that you've taken your eyes off of God? You don't want what's fair. You need to remember that Jesus Christ has forgiven you of all of your sins. And according to Psalms, he's removed it as far as the east is from the west. And just remember what God has done for you instead of remembering all the time what people have done against you. Hello and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch, and we're glad you are joining us for tonight's broadcast. Pastor Dudley is the senior pastor of Shepherd Church, which is one church on three different campuses in the greater Los Angeles area at Porter Ranch, Woodland Hills, and Agua Dulce. We'll be joining Pastor Dudley in just a moment. But first, we want you to know this program is called Lift Up Jesus because we exist to lift up Jesus and the life-changing truth of the gospel. And we do this every night, Monday through Friday at 7 p.m. here on KKLA. No matter where you're listening from right now, in your car or your home or at work, you're about to hear bold, uncompromising teaching about faith, family, and daily life. We believe there is nothing like immersing yourself in the Bible each and every day to completely transform your life. We thank you again for joining us tonight. We know you're going to be enriched and encouraged by tonight's program. So let's join Pastor Dudley right now with his message from God's Word. There was a writer, Robert Louis Stevenson, who tells the story of two spinster ladies who lived together in the same house for many years, but they had a falling out, and they decided to never, ever, ever speak to each other again, and yet they lived in the same house. They literally took a piece of chalk, and they drew a line throughout the entire house. They drew a line down the sofa. One could sit on one side, one would sit on the other. They took a piece of chalk and they drew a line on the floor of the garage. They drew a line in the living room. They actually drew a line down the hallway. One would walk on one side, one would walk on the other. They actually went to the kitchen, to the cupboards, and they drew a line down the cupboards. One would have one, one would have the other side. These two women lived the rest of their lives in the prison of hatred, the prison of bitterness and resentment. These two women are a picture of many of us because there are chalk lines all around us. Oh, you might not see an actual chalk line, but trust me, the lines are there. We draw them between husbands and wives. We draw the line between siblings. Siblings have drawn a line. Countries have drawn a line. Nations have drawn lines. Races have drawn lines. Co-workers have drawn lines. And even church members have drawn lines. Peter asked Jesus a question in Matthew 18 that many of us have asked in verse 21. The Bible says that Peter came to the Lord and said, Lord, how many times am I supposed to forgive my what? 
my brother. So this is like someone who's close to me, okay? A brother is a relative, a friend, uh, someone that I know. How many times my brother has sinned against me? How many times should I forgive him? And then Peter says up to seven times. That's a pretty high number. I mean, Peter is trying to impress the Lord. It's kind of a smug uh, question. He wants the Lord to know how gracious he is because the rabbinical law at that time taught that a person only needed to forgive another person three times. That was it. That's all you need to do is forgive three times. And after all, that's about all you, you forgive. I mean, if someone does something wrong, you, you might forgive them once, but if you ever do that again, I, I'm done with you. And if they do it a second time, I mean, if you're a very gracious person, you'll give them a third chance. But after three, that, I mean, that's, that's the way most of us think. Rabbinical law said three times. Peter doubled it to six, put one on for good measure, and said, Lord, how many times? Up to seven. And in verse 22, Jesus gives a real answer. It's a real answer for a real question. He said, I tell you, Peter, verse 22, not seven times, but 77 times. In some translations, it reads 70 times seven, which is 490 times. I want you to write this down in your notes. What Jesus was telling Peter that day is that there is no limit to our forgiveness. I know that sounds strange. I know that seems impossible. I know that appears illogical. I know it doesn't seem fair. But Jesus says there's to be no limit. Now let's be honest. Anytime anyone has cheated you, I mean cheated you, defrauded you, stole from you, lied to you, harmed you, most of us don't get to the third time that we forgive, let alone seven, certainly not 490 times. But Jesus says there's to be no limit to the number of times that we offer up forgiveness, whatever that situation may be. He then illustrates it with a story in Matthew 18 that I want to read through, starting with verse 23. If you have your Bibles, it says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Verse 24, as he began to settle the account, a man who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, there are people who've gone back in Bible times to see how much 10,000 talents is worth in today's money. It's literally millions and millions and millions, possibly up to $10 million in today's money. So verse 24 says, as he began to settle account, a man who owed about $10 million was brought to him. Verse 25. Since he was not able to pay the master, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. He wanted. To, he said, you need to sell yourself, sell your wife, sell your kids, sell everything you have to pay off this debt. The next verse, the man did exactly what you and I would have done. He fell on his knees and he began to beg. And he said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything, which I, I, I doubt, doubt seriously whether he could have paid him back. But at least he was begging. Verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him. Unbelievable. And the Bible says that he canceled the entire $10 million debt and let him go. Verse 28. Now here's where the story turns. When that servant, the guy that had just been forgiven $10 million, he he turned around, he went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, which is about $17 in today's economy. He grabbed him 
And he began to choke him, and he said, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. In verse 29, the guy that owed $17 said the same thing, the guy that owed $10 million to the king. He said, the fellow servant fell to his knees. He begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. And I believe he would have paid him back the $17. But, verse 30, he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Verse 31, then the other servants saw what had happened. They, they knew the injustice of all this. They were greatly distressed. They went back and told their master everything that had just happened. They basically said, you know that guy that you gave, forgave $10 million? He went out and choked a guy that owed him 17 and put, throw him in jail. So verse 32, then the master called for that servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed, all $10 million. And the next verse is the kicker. This is the kick in the gut. Look at verse 35. It's in your Bible. Red letter edition, the words of Jesus. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your what? From your heart. Number one, write this down. Forgiveness is to be the trademark. It's the logo of our Christian faith. It is the trademark of our Christian faith. Every single Christian should know Ephesians 4.32. It says to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. 62 times in the New Testament, we find the word forgive or forgiveness. Most of those 62 times is referring to how God forgives us, but 22 of those 62 times when you read about forgiveness in the New Testament, it's about like it is here in Ephesians 4.32 where it's telling us as Christians that we are to forgive one another. For a Christian, if you're a Christian, our logo is forgiveness. Just like the trademark for Jesus, what is his logo? It's the cross, isn't it? I mean, the fact that he died, and when you see the cross, you know, when you think of Jesus, what do you think of? You think, well, that's the guy that went to the cross, and he died, and he shed his blood for the forgiveness of my sins. That's his trademark, the fact that he forgives us. And the Bible says that you and I should be forgiving just as Christ forgave us. It should be our trademark as well. Point number two, write this down. Unforgiveness will eat you alive. It will eat you alive. It leads to several things. Number one, write this down. It leads to hatred. You see, lack of forgiveness leads to this hostility that turns into hatred between two people. Secondly, and leads right into this, it robs you of your joy. If you have unforgiveness, you're the, you're the one being robbed of joy. There is no such thing as a happy hater. I hate and I'm so happy about it. There is no such thing. Unforgiveness actually leads to emotional sickness and physical sickness. It's really the story of David. If you read Psalm 51... He had committed sin, the sin of adultery and the sin of murder. And it doesn't matter what the sin is. David writes how sin, his bones were just wasting away. And his prayer was that God would restore and renew the joy within him. Because whenever you're engaged in sin, especially the sin of unforgiveness, you are the one that's being held captive and you are the one that's being destroyed. Number three, unforgiveness blocks your worship. 
Oh, hear me out on this. You cannot come to church. You know, Psalm talks about how we're supposed to worship. You cannot come to church and look over the aisle and you see someone over there that's offended you or sinned against you. You're like, that guy just makes me so mad. I can't even stand that person. Oh, it's time to worship. Let's worship God. Let's worship God. You can't do it. You got that bit, oh, that girl over there, I've seen her, I can't stand that woman over there. Okay, let's take communion now. You can't do it. It keeps you from, from worshiping. You're supposed to be worshiping. And number four, write this down. And I, I'm going to have a hard time even explaining this. But God won't forgive you of your sins. According to the Bible, this is one of those questions as a pastor, when I get to heaven, I got to say, Lord, I gotta, you got to explain all this to me because I know we're living under grace. I understand that. But I want you to go back to Matthew 6. You're in Matthew 18. Just go back to Matthew 6. Read these two verses. One verse is really, really good, and one verse is really, really bad. Seems like there's always some good verses next to some bad verses. Verse 14 is the good verse. It says, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Oh, let's thank the Lord for that. Oh, thank you, Lord. Yeah. Until you read the next verse that says... But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you of your sins. Now, I know we're living under grace, and I know somehow we've got to justify all that together with Scripture. My, my, what I draw from that, when I read Matthew 18 and I read verses like this, that if I don't forgive my brothers or my sisters, there'll be no forgiveness for me, what I gain from that is that God wants me to forgive people. I heard about a lady that had an affair 20 years ago. And she never told her husband about it. She lived with this weight of guilt for 20 years. She's just eaten alive. And finally, she was uh, talking to her pastor and just seeking some counseling. And the pastor told her, you need, to, you need to tell your husband. Now, the pastor said in counseling situations, I don't always tell people to go back and tell all your past. But in this particular case, he said, I did. He said, because... I knew the husband. I knew what kind of man he was. And so I said to the girl, you need to confess to your husband. The woman was afraid if she confessed that her husband would leave her. She didn't want to lose her husband, but she was living in this guilt and just felt like she needed to tell him. And so she actually said to the minister, she said, all right. She goes, I trust you. I I will tell my husband. She goes, but if he leaves me, I'm blaming you. Like it's the preacher's fault. So, a couple days later, the preacher ran into the woman, and he said, she looked 15 years younger. He said, what happened? She goes, you won't believe what happened. He said, I told my husband what had happened, and he said that he's known about it for the entire 20 years. But he was waiting for her to confess it so that he could tell her that he loved her, that she was forgiven. She said, I can't believe I lived for 20 years knowing and this guilt and, and, and not knowing that my sin had already been forgiven, I didn't know it because I hadn't confessed it. You see, in the exact same way, if you think about it, all of us, when we sin against God, God already knows your sin. He already knows what you've done because He's God. What He's waiting on is for you to come and acknowledge and confess that sin. 
Do you understand that? Well, if I tell God, what's he going to do? God, God has already forgiven us when, by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He's waiting for us to confess. You've got a choice. You can either live in the guilt and the weight and the burden of sin. You came in here with that guilt and that weight and that burden. You can leave with that guilt and that weight and that burden. Or you can come and confess that and know that by the work of Jesus on the cross, those sins are forgiven and leave here today in freedom and rejoicing that you've been set free from that. Amen. Let me give you some steps to forgiveness. Number one, you have to remember. Remember what? Oh, listen to me. You have to remember that you're the one who owes $10 million. That's what you need to remember. Remember that God has forgiven you what God has done for you. Think about how many times God has forgiven you. How many times have you failed God? How many times have you disobeyed God? How many times did you come to God and said, God, I'm sorry, I want to start over. And God said, okay, if you want to start over, I'll let, let's start over. God said, okay, we can start over. How many times has God said to you, let's start over? You say, well, it doesn't seem fair. I've been offended. I don't, it doesn't seem fair that I've got to forgive. You don't want it to be fair. Do you want God to be fair with you? Do you want God to give you what you truly deserve? Can't you remember the thousands of times that you've taken your eyes off of God? The thousands of times that you've loved something else more than God? Thousands of times that you have denied God? Thousands of times that you have sinned against God? You don't want what's fair. You need to remember that Jesus Christ has forgiven you of all of your sins. And according to Psalms, He's removed it as far as the east is from the west. And just remember what God has done for you instead of remembering all the time what people have done against you. Number two, number two, you've got to pray. I know that sounds simple, but this is, this is it. This is how all that bitterness is going to go out of you. Is you've got to pray. Pray is a spiritual exercise. The Bible says in Matthew 5, verse 44, to love your what? Love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. The greatest prayer problem in the modern day church is not unanswered prayer. The problem in America is unoffered prayer. Because we talk, you can talk all you want. This bitterness is not going to go away by talking. Some of you have been to counselors and you need to go to counselors if you need a counselor, but bitterness doesn't leave because you talk to a counselor. Bitterness leaves because you, you've got down on your knees and you have prayed and you have cried out to God and you see, you begin to ask God to uh, help you forgive. You just pray, Lord, help me to forgive. And you talk about this issue and you pray for the name of the person who's offended you. You see, and as God answers your own prayer to break down that wall, the same God that can remove that, that wall is the same God that can begin to touch the heart of the person who sinned against you. So this is a spiritual battle, this learning how to forgive You've got to get down on your knees and you've got to pray and you've got to beg and you've got to cry out to God to give you a forgiving spirit. And ladies and gentlemen, if you'll pray that prayer in faith, I'm convinced that God will begin to break down that feeling in your heart. Now here's, here's how I used to pray. I used to say, all right, Lord, all right, Lord, okay, okay. I forgive them. I know they've done wrong. I forgive them, Lord. I forgive them. I, I forgive. In Jesus' name, I forgive them. Now, Lord, go get them. 
Go get him, God. Now I want to ask you a question. Don't you see how that, that is not really forgiveness? That's, that's not a very good Christian prayer. Here, here's a real prayer. Here, here's, here's how you pray. Here's how you should pray. You say, Lord God, in, in, in the same way that you have shown mercy to me, would you show mercy to them? See, it's almost, it's almost a prayer blessing, isn't it? Aren't you almost blessed? You're praying a prayer blessing on them. You're acknowledging, God, as you have forgiven me, would you forgive them? You're asking God to do something good. And even, even the repentance part, even if that person is living in sin and doing wrong and still continuing to do wrong, your prayers, Lord, Lord, thank you for forgiving me. And I, I want you to know that I've forgiven that individual. And Lord, I, whatever you do in their life, to bring them to repentance. Lord, it's okay, bring them to repentance, but no more. God, do just enough in their life to turn them back to you, but no more, Lord. Don't punish them any more than, than, what, than, than that. Just, just enough to get them to come back to you. Oh, don't you see how that's a, a godly prayer? And number three, you have to offer forgiveness. You've got you to get those words out of your mouth. You've got to say, I forgive you. Mark 11, verse 25 says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, you say, yeah, but preacher, he did this and this. Well, this is pretty all-inclusive. If you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you of your sins. You're going to have to say those words. You're going to have to say them, I forgive you, whether it's a, a letter a note, a phone call, a text. You've got you to get those words. You've got to believe it in your heart. And you've got to say, I, I forgive you. You say, well, pastor, you have no idea. And I'll get 100 letters this week. 100 letters of people telling me the sordid details of their life and all the bad stuff. You, pastor, you have no idea what's happened to me. Well, you're, you're, first of all, I've heard everything there is to hear. But have you listened to the sermon today? Where it says there, if you hold anything against anybody, you've got to forgive them. Here's the real question. Here's the big question. Dudley, do I have to forgive someone even if they're not sorry for what they've done? Because most of you would forgive if they would only come and apologize. But because they don't apologize, you're holding a grudge. So the question is, even if they don't apologize for what they've done, am I supposed to forgive them? Unequivocally, yes, yes, yes. <sighs> if you think about it, if you think about it, it's exactly what Jesus did for you on the cross because you hadn't apologized for your sins when Jesus died on that cross. It's not like you came to God one day just because you're a righteous person and you, you beg God, God, I have sinned, I've done wrong, would you please forgive me, God? And God said, you want me to forgive you? Yes, God, please. Okay, let me think. What can I do? Um, uh, because you begged me for forgiveness, I think I'll let G I'll send my own son. Uh, Jesus, you go get on the cross and die for oh so he, he asked for apology. So you go die so that he can. No, that's not what happened. Before any of you sought forgiveness, before any of you apologized, Jesus went to that cross to die for you and for me. 
We hope you enjoyed this edition of Lift Up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. As you can tell from his message tonight, Pastor Dudley has a driving passion to talk about Jesus everywhere he goes and with everyone he meets. So often, a person has never heard the life-changing message of the gospel. Or perhaps they, at one time, experienced the transformation that is only possible through Jesus Christ. But now they're discouraged or in need of hope. If that is you, we invite you to reach out to us right now and let us pray with you. Our toll-free number is easy to remember. It's 888-818-4777. Again, that number is 888-818-4777. We have prayer counselors standing by and ready to take your call. As Christians, we are often faced with trials, sorrows, and struggles of many kinds. Jesus never promised we would be free from tribulation once we become believers. However, God does show us through the wisdom of His Word how to overcome and even rejoice in the difficult times we are experiencing. Some of the most essential keys to a joyful Christian walk are found in the small New Testament book written by James, the brother of Jesus. In his book, Keeping a Smile on Your Faith, Pastor Dudley Rutherford takes you through a study of the book of James and shares the spiritual disciplines necessary to help you persevere as a believer, even during the most challenging times in your life. Pastor Dudley's book, Keeping a Smile on Your Faith, can be yours right now for a gift of any size to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. Call us right now so we can get this powerful resource into your hands. Our toll-free number is 888-818-4777. You will learn the powerful tools to encourage you in your faith, how to extend Jesus' love to others, and walk with Him daily with a smile. Our number again is 888-818-4777. 4777. And when you call, ask for your personal copy of Pastor Dudley's book, Keeping a Smile on Your Faith. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us again tomorrow night at the same time here on KKLA as we again lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. Pastor Dudley.